0: Good evening, everyone. Mike Banner here. Another episode of 62 Who Knew? Tonight we bring back Mrs. Laura Banner, founder of Compassionate Education, for the topic of Alzheimer's and all types of dementia. When she was on several months ago, it was one of our most popular shows. This is a topic that touches all families. That's what we got for you tonight. Welcome to 62 Who Knew? Back everybody to the next episode of 62 Who Knew. We have a very exciting show for you tonight. As always, I want to uh, thank last week's guest, Miss Diane Daniels, uh, one of the national experts, if not the national expert on Medicare. Her very popular podcast, um, Medicare Nation. Uh, You should tune into that. Subscribe to that. Uh, Her shows are always so fantastic. Thank you, Diane, for being here, and we can't wait for you to come back in November to tell us about the latest changes in Medicare, again, and what we can expect also in 2020. So before we get to our latest guest, or tonight's guest, who's one of my favorite, uh, let me give a little synopsis, synopsis, maybe learn how to speak. Let me give a synopsis of 62 Who Knew and what we're all about, because every week our audience is growing. Last week we were above, a little above just 90,000 viewers, which we're very proud of, and I thank you for that. But what is 62 Who Knew? The premise of 62 Who Knew is as we approach the age of 62, whether it be my generation, I'm a little over 61 years old, uh, my father, his father, his father before him, everyone as we approach this part of life starts to think about retirement. Hopefully you've been thinking about it longer than that, but that magic number of 62 is when it really sinks in. Should I take my social security? Should I defer till a later age? Do I need to keep working? Do I really need long-term care insurance? Do I still need my life insurance? When do I get Medicare supplemental situa- uh, uh, insurance? The, the topics are just endless and they've always been the same as you approach the age of 62. You're dealing with your mortality for the first time in your life. Every generation has faced the same challenges except for my generation, the baby boomer generation. We have one more challenge or one more hurdle, if you would. And that hurdle is the double-edged sword of longer lifespans. Today in this country, if you make it to 65 years old, just make it to 65, you have a 50-50 chance of making it to 90. And when you think about it, that's amazing. But like many double-edged swords, it's a mixed blessing. Less than 1% of this great country has the financial wherewithal to make it from 65 to 90 in a high quality of life. Not just quality of life, but quality of health, mentally, emotionally, financially. So the whole premise of this show, 62 Who Knew, Who Knew I Was Going to Be Around This Long, is to bring on guests, experts in their field about Social Security, Medicare, Medicare Supplemental Policies, long-term care insurance, reverse mortgages, health. Uh, again, the list is endless, and that's what we do every week. And obviously, this topic, this topic has touched people's hearts uh, because we're on just a little more than a year, and again, up to uh, 90,000 viewers per week, which we're very proud of. And tonight's guest is no exception. She was on with us just a few months ago. Uh, Ms. Laura Banner is an expert expert in not just Alzheimer's, but all types of dementia. She is the founder of Compassionate Education, travels the country nationally to talk about this terrible disease that is, uh, has no prejudice, no bias. It doesn't make a difference if you're rich or poor, what color you are, what religion you are. This is a terrifying disease, and uh, there are ways to deal with it. And uh, we welcome back Mrs. Laura Banner. Welcome back, Laura.
1: Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate
0: you having me again. You know, the first time you were on, you know, we have the benefit of living forever on the Internet. But your show probably was the first show ever that we topped 50,000 viewers. And even though we're way past that, it does prove without a doubt that your topic, uh, your expertise that you've chosen to help people with, Is something that touches everybody, Um, because that was a big mark for us to go past 50,000. And I have a feeling that we're going to pass 100,000 with this episode that you're on right now. So um, tell us what's new.
1: Um,
0: Everything okay in your life? I mean... Everything
1: is good. Um, Yes. Everything um, is... Constantly in flux, uh, but I guess that's what keeps it interesting.
0: Absolutely, and for those of you wondering that didn't see Laura's first show, yes, both our last name is Banner, and we are related. And um, just get—that's a disclosure. I'm related to her husband too, but I, I have more fun being related to her. Uh, so um, let's let's get right into this because, as we both know, the hour goes very quickly. Excuse me, looking down, but my picture, my uh, my questions are right here as this becomes more of a common thing and people discuss it more and more and you're discussing it more over the country, um, I'd like you to tell us, what are there any more problems or what problems are really facing caretakers with this just terrible disease?
1: Well, just um, to review what we talked about last time, at least I think I covered it last time, not only do i have compassionate education which is the venue that i use to go out and educate and counsel not only people as they're going through formal education in um, medicine but also when i go out to the public i'm doing a lot of education and um, addressing questions concerns for people that don't get an opportunity to get in front of a provider I also have a clinic practice where I'm seeing patients not only for general neurology, but also specializing in dementia care. And out of that grew the need for a support group. So I've been running an Alzheimer's approved, excuse me, Alzheimer's Association approved, endorsed support group now almost three years. We just became approved Alzheimer's Association this year, which was huge for us. It really opened up a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. So I did that because what I found was that when I was seeing patients in the clinic, their family members would sit there and I could just see their discomfort. They wanted to ask questions. They didn't want to make their loved one feel uncomfortable. And at the same time, as a caregiver, there are unique needs to their role. So in the support group, we get to talk about a lot of things. Um, Sometimes it's just an opportunity to just vent, say what they did that worked, what they did that didn't work, what they did that they feel guilty about, and kind of just a confessional, if you will. So what I'm seeing more and more of is that as we are getting better at diagnosing dementia and people are coming out from the woodwork saying, hey, I'm thinking this forgetfulness is beyond normal aging, you find people who, regardless of what their profession is, whether they are a stay-at-home mom, or they're out and they're in the work environment, they suddenly put on a new hat. And that's being the eyes and ears first line for detecting something (coughs) that's abnormal with their loved one. And that population has a lot of associated risks inherent to their role. For example, Many people don't realize if they've not already been in the role, once they're in the role, it's no surprise that many caregivers, regardless of their health status going into the role, often pass before the loved one they care for. Because what happens is it's emotionally draining, it's physically draining, it is all consuming. They ignore their own needs. Oftentimes they have a diagnosis that was never detected or made because they are so consumed with meeting their loved one's needs. So what has changed, what has changed is that I think there is more recognition, not where it needs to be, but certainly more recognition on the fact that caregivers have needs as well as the person they're caring for.
0: You know, every time a professional like you brings up that particular topic, every time it gives me the chills, you know, I get goosebumps. Uh, You know, we're fortunate enough to have some of the the finest long-term care insurance uh, experts in the country On the show, Mr. Peter Gelbwachs, Mark Goldberg, Carol Golden. These are names that the entire long-term care industry, uh, Mr. Bill Comfort, are aware of. And the first time that each of them brought up, and I I never remember the statistic. That makes me a bad host. But when the caregiver literally predeceases the person they were giving the care to because of the stress involved. And I don't think there would be any disease you know, more than dementia, um, that would be more stressful. It it just gives me the chills to think that that's what you're starting your, you know, and and it is usually the woman. It really is. It's usually the daughter or the wife that says, okay, I'll put my career or, or my life on hold and take care of mom or take care of dad or my husband. Um, the stress of a caregiver is a staggering thing.
1: It is. And you're right. Traditionally, it is the female. What I'm seeing more recently, is it's the husband, it's the son. Mm -hmm. Um, It's heartbreaking. I saw a patient this week, actually, and she's advanced, but still able to communicate. She has a unique variant with her diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And she has what we call rapid decay of information. So Mm -hmm. literally, every five seconds, she is asking the same question. But to her, she's never asked it before. And so... Each and every time they come in, and at this point, a lot of it truly is just a social visit Mm -hmm. to give the husband an opportunity to get out and go do something, change that environment um, for me to check in on him, even though he's not technically my patient, in my mind, they both are. And he told me, I will care for her till the end until I'm no longer able to. And he does everything possible to make her life as normal as he possibly can. And I happened to ask and I was so not prepared for his answer, but I said, how long does it take you to get her ready every day to go out? And he said, three hours.
0: That's amazing to me. Three hours. It's amazing.
1: And how can that not take a toll on someone?
0: Of course. And
1: the caregiver role instantly, no one one looks forward saying, hey, I'm gonna be a caregiver in my later years Mm -hmm. or at some point in my life but they embrace it, and they master it, and they go through this difficult journey trying to follow a, a moving target, never knowing if they're, what they're doing is right, just doing what they think is right, which in my mind makes it right. Right. Um, and they need help. And we are not prepared. No. We're not prepared as individuals, we're not prepared as a society, as a nation to care for the people with this diagnosis, because we know where it's headed. The only thing we don't know is what that journey is going to look like. We know what the end point is. And how can we, in my mind, how can we be better? Because we have a lot of room to be better. How can we address the family needs, the individual with the diagnosis, the the caretaker? It breaks my heart, the things that I hear each and every day. Um, So what has changed? I think that as a profession, we are getting better at recognizing that it's not just the patient. I advocate all the time in my support group, in my clinic visits, that although I cannot truly treat the caregiver, I tell them, go ahead, you need to you know, plug yourself in with a provider, because at some point, you're going to probably pick up the phone and say, I need help. I need help because I can't handle the anxiety. I can't handle the lack of sleep, the, the physical demands, the attacks, whatever it is they're dealing with. So that has changed. Um, we're talking about it more. And I think that's a positive about a really devastating situation. Um, what else has changed? Unfortunately, therapy has not changed.
0: Really? It, it hasn't improved?
1: No, there have been a lot of drugs that they have put through different trial phases and for one reason or another have not turned out to give the results that they've hoped for. Um we're hopeful. We I'm have gonna, to keep trying.
0: I'll try and get an update from my friends in the Weitzman Institute that oh, I know okay. are are very, very close to uh to huge breakthroughs there in in Jerusalem. And I'll try and get a uh an update on that and get that to you. I, as I think I said the first time you were on, I would love to have you and them and a long-term care expert on at the same time, all three of you. But you also brought something up that I that I live personally and I know is very challenging. You know, eventually the caregiver, um, when it's a loved one, not a professional, is going to call out for help. But sometimes that's a hard decision. When it's your mom, your dad, your your, your wife or, or, or husband, whoever it may be, You want to be the person to do that. Intellectually, you know somebody else might do it better, but emotionally you want to be that person. I think that's another barrier we have to get through. Uh, I remember when I got my dad, you know, professional help. I won't say I waited way too long, but I, I probably waited a little too long because I wanted to take care of my dad. Once I had the professional help in the house, I realized I probably did dad a little misservice Um, you know, wanting to do it myself. It's a hard barrier for someone you love.
1: And so many children are asked to promise a a parent that's passing, you know, that they will keep their other parent at home. Yes. And I understand why they ask that of their children, but it is truly such an added burden to put on their heart. And it's, I don't think they would ask that if they understood what they were asking, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, you, you just brought up long-term care. That is, that is an area that needs fixing in my opinion. It needs to become affordable. Most people don't understand it. Most people have no idea what it is until they are at the point where they are searching for placement for a loved one or a spouse. And at that point, you know, it's, it's too late. So expensive. what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, it always gets yeah. back to making that plan for long-term care, which our other experts speak about so often. You know, once you have it, you know, you, to use a an old adage, you can't fix the barn door after the horses leave. You sort of That's have right. to fix it before, especially the white horse, because the white horse really tries to... Uh, <laughs> Tries to escape at all times. We'll explain that to maybe to our uh, viewers one other day or if we have time later. Um, but the truth of the matter is, when you're in your 40s, 50s, um, you should be looking at a long term care plan, a long term care insurance plan with a long term care insurance uh, specialist, expert. So when this does happen to you, you can afford it. It's staggering to me how people don't realize that. You can't call um, you know, your insurance person for more fire insurance while the house is on fire. Everybody knows that, but they don't plan on their health the same way.
1: Well, and to that point, what I'm also seeing is a trend in younger and younger patients coming in with cognitive issues. Really? People in their late forties, people (sighs) in their early fifties. I'm not sure if I had mentioned it before, but it certainly bears repeating. We have early onset and late onset. Uh, disease and 65 years of age is the defining line. So if someone is diagnosed prior to 65, that's considered early onset. If they're diagnosed after 65 and diagnosed, maybe I should say when the symptoms began Mm -hmm. prior to, or after 65, after 65 is considered late onset, not to be confused with late stage. Right. So I am seeing people who are working professionals at the peak of their career, maybe not even at the peak, still rising to the top, who are coming in with symptoms concerning for dementia. And we put them through the testing. And unfortunately, they are coming back that they have dementia. Um, There was actually an article that was forwarded to me last night. Uh, Real quick, I'll share the story, the gist of it. This is a former football player who began playing tackle football as a young child, which a lot of young boys, maybe some young girls now are doing. And then he continued it, played middle school, played high school, played college, never went pro. When he finished college ball, he was a very smart, or still is a very smart man, went to med school. He wow. became an OBGYN. And at 42 years of age, he had to retire because of confusion he is testifying in front of congress now trying to make tackle football for youth under 12 a thing of the past because what they are believing he has which can't be confirmed until postmortem autopsy is cte which is that repetitive head injury um it is a it's a chronic problem that slowly presents until you're in the thick of it and it is devastating it is Heartbreaking that people who were doing something that we all rallied around and it was enjoyable, it was sport, it was family gatherings. Let's go watch the game. Now has robbed these individuals of their future. So at forty-two, he had to retire because he couldn't remember how to do the most basic things in his profession.
0: Uh, He said he
1: doesn't remember his wedding. He doesn't remember the birth of his daughter.
0: uh, That's 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 so sad. yeah, well, you know, we don't want to get into this part of it because, you know, you and I and, and Bob have had enough, you know, personal conversations. The world is gone cuckoo. Uh, there's no way to get around it. Can you imagine? And I don't want to get into this too much. I want to get back to other trends and things that are happening in your industry. Uh, but can you imagine a thousand years from now, people looking back going, yeah. Uh, there was a sport where the goal was to bang heads with each other right. uh, and it took or them, a- each other out. right. And it took them a hundred years to figure out it causes brain damage. Um, for a society that can leave the planet or, um, do virtual reality or put the, uh, a computer chip on the head of a pencil. We haven't yes. figured out yet that our children banging heads with other children could have a bad effect on their adulthood. I- when I we say that out loud, I almost think it's too stupid to say.
1: No, we don't see what we don't want to see.
0: Yes. Yeah, we, we can be a blind society. Uh, yes. it, it's just, it, like I said, when you say it out loud, it's it's almost pure stupidity.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: So is there genetic testing? Because there is, you know, I'm going to leave the studio and go right for it. You know, you and <laughs> I, I always fool around. And, and when I talk, you know, again, for our audience, again, you know, um, Laura is not here because she's my cousin Laura's here, you know, because she's a national expert on this and tours the country, you know, speaking about it, but her husband who is, a uh officially my first cousin, but more like a brother. Um, you know, we always laugh with each other that we'll get up and go to the refrigerator and get there and go, why, why did we come up here again? Or go to the kitchen to get something, come back, sit down, and uh, you know, go, this is not what I even wanted to go get. What am I doing with this? And we'll, we'll fool around and go, whoops, there's the early dementia you know, um, jumping in and it's, it, we smile, but I know in the back of my mind, when I say that to one of my kids, I'm not really smiling. I'm thinking, wow, I got up to get an iced tea and, and I came back with an apple. Well, how did that happen? Um, is there genetic testing for this?
1: So there is, it will tell you if you're at risk. It will not tell you if in fact you are going to develop the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, with the ancestry.coms, the 23s in me, You can get the DNA testing, but again, what are you gonna do with that information? It's not going to tell you that you will develop the disease. So what we know is that forgetfulness is a normal part of aging. Let's say you go ahead and you get that genetic testing and it shows that you have a predisposition for the development of Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, now what? Now you're 50, 55 years old, and you go to the refrigerator for that iced tea and you come back with the apple, Uh uh-oh, is that the beginning? What's next? Am I going to forget my kids' names? Am I going to forget to pay Uh, my bills to take the keys away so I can't drive any longer? And that anxiety only produces more forgetfulness. So to answer your question, yes, there is genetic testing, but it is not confirmatory that you will develop the disease. And I don't think at this point, my personal opinion, I don't think at this point that it is a wise decision to move forward with the testing. Because I think that if you know it's in your DNA, are you going to still live your best life? I hate that expression, but at this point, I think it really is appropriate. Or are you going to live in fear? And what happens if at some point, some insurance company gets a hold of that? I don't know, could they deny you something? Maybe long-term care insurance? Could they jack up your premium? I, I just don't think it's a good idea, not at this point. What I would much rather see is people make the assumption that we can all develop it, which we can because it's in your DNA potentially, but it also can just be spontaneous. So how about if we change our lifestyle so that we can do what is within our control to reduce risk factors? Get up, get moving, be more physically active. If you want to have some alcohol, don't do it in excess. Look at things that do not challenge your mind. So World Health uh, Organization came out with recommendations in ways that you can reduce your risk factors for developing mild cognitive impairment, which often is a precursor to a dementia or a dementia. And we know that medication does not stop it it manages it and hopefully slows it down. Mm -hmm. That was not listed on the top of their recommendations. It was physical activity, cognitive stimulation, and eating eating well, you don't have to be a fanatic, but look at what's happening right now. Look at the lifespan of a chicken. Okay, so how can that be good for us? So they do say that organic foods are best, I think that that is financially unfeasible for a lot of people. It's the truth. Um, And again, is that just a label that's being put on all foods and we're really not scrutinizing what truly deserves the title? I don't know, not my area. But I do know that if I'm eating a lot of red meat and a lot of fried foods, getting a lot of inflammation and inflammation is not good. If I'm eating a lot of sweets, which people who have memory impairment tend to crave, Again, it's giving you a lot of brain inflammation, which impairs cognitive function. So maybe if I eat a well-balanced diet or a Mediterranean diet, which is even better, I'm putting good things in my body, which in turn will allow for optimal brain function. I'm getting up, getting moving, improving the blood flow in your brain. That is great. Getting good amount of sleep. You know, it's a misnomer that as we get older, we don't need to eat as much and we don't need to sleep as much. Yes, we do.
0: More, I, I would think you need more more rest.
1: Right. We need to constantly be challenging our minds instead of retiring or thinking about retiring and really doing nothing new, learning nothing new, not creating any stimulation. How about if we go out and we challenge ourselves and positively stress our minds to? strengthen those neural connections in the brain it's called neuroplasticity it's about strengthening the connections and keeping everything in the best uh operating function that it can possibly have versus sitting on the on the couch you know going ahead and just using the remote and flipping the channels and really doing mindless activities that's it, not good
0: well you know that's fine you know i know what you're saying is true but this disease and this type of risk management that you're talking about, unfortunately, is coming at a time where every survey and every study says our young people, and and we're guilty of it too, in, in, in my age bracket. But that young people today are spending so much more time in front of their computer or Xbox, or and and yes. I'm guilty. It's not just the the 400 stations that I like on my TV. It's it's everything from, you know, CBS All Access to everything right. that you can imagine that does keep us you know not stimulated well i can't say not stimulated because you're laughing or you're this but certainly not challenged it, it, you know it's mental pablum
1: they call it a smartphone yeah and you know i i laugh all the time and i say absolutely because without it i wouldn't be smart but the reality is it is robbing us of the need to remember That's we know exactly how to access right. information but not remember information i can tell you my phone number i can tell you my husband's phone number I can tell you my kids' phone numbers. I can tell you my childhood address, my childhood phone number. I can't tell you my best friend's phone number. I can just tell you, you know, to push the name on my contact list. Exactly.
0: I'm worse, and, yeah, I'm worse than that. I can tell you my addresses and everything and phone numbers from when I was little, but even my kids, I don't know their phone numbers. I just hit speed dial.
1: How about spelling?
0: Oh, spelling what, is what ridiculous. What happened
1: to that skill? No. We don't remember how to spell because we have spell check, right?
0: Yeah. Or, or even have a nice writing. I used to have a nice signature, you know, yeah. or anything. Now when I have to write a letter and I don't want to, uh, you know, use my computer, I want to do the personal touch. It looks like I'm in, you know, first grade. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So I think that it it's not just one cause, but it is where society is moving. We are overstimulated. We're not taking time to take care of ourselves. We are not engaging in our environment. We're engaging in this little device that's in our hand and we panic if we don't have good reception. We panic if the battery is low. Oh, that's so true. We always have it. I'm guilty of it. If I get in the car, in fact, the other day, someone hijacked my cell number. So I actually had to drive 35 minutes from home or from work to home. Something I used to do all the time without a cell phone. Right. And I thought, what if I get a flat tire? What if I need to make a phone call? What if, what if, what if? I thought this is ridiculous. It
0: is really amazing. Uh, yeah, I have done some crazy things only because I've left my phone somewhere and panicked that I couldn't be without it.
1: Yeah. How silly, right?
0: To a degree, so, yeah.
1: You know, you look at the youth, and I don't mean to pick on them, they are a, a victim of technology. Oh, yeah. And they don't know how to talk, they don't uh-huh. know how to have active conversations, they don't know how to have inflection in their voice because they know how to put an emoji on a text message and that should convey it. So I think if we don't do something about this, the pandemic that I would consider dementia to be right now is only the tip of the iceberg as these younger generations start to get older. Um, As you know, I go out and I lecture and two of my children attended one of my lectures. And at the end, they were just there for support. At the end, they came up and they were panicked and they said, we need to change what we're doing right now because we have dementia up close and personal in my family Mm -hmm. and they do not want that to be them.
0: No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it is the younger people, but I got to say. You know, although I'm 61 now, you know, the last 10 to 12 years of my life, I've gotten more dependent on it as well. Um, It's just so easy to find out that, you know, supposedly I'm a mortgage expert. People sometimes call me up with questions and, and as they're asking me, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, And I Google it and I, and I mean, you go to Google for everything in the world. I don't know if there's anything you can't get from Google. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's true. I mean, and even just getting up and getting moving. I'm not trying to pick on Alexa. It just happens to be, you know, the brand I have. Right. I don't even get up to turn on the lights or turn off the lights. That's right. Or turn off music. How, how much lazier of a society can we be?
0: Oh, we can get much lazier. Yes. Frightening. Yeah, it not is. Hard. It is frightening. Before I go to my next topic, did you say earlier that sweets are not good for your memory? Yes. Like chocolate.
1: Yes. So, what we know. <laughs> I know.
0: John, just oh, call her. an. John's my producer. John, just call an ambulance now. Yeah, just dial nine one one for me now because I, I I don't know if I'll make it back to my office. Oh my god. So,
1: when I am meeting a patient and their family for the first time, I have my usual go to questions, and they always are amazed. Like, how did she know that? It's because it's so common. So lots of theories, why it is, nonetheless, regardless of the theory, we know that when people have memory impairment, they crave sweets. Mm. They can be very sneaky about how they get their sweets. Sometimes they put it right out there. But, so there is this belief uh, that there is something called diabetes type three. It is separate from your peripheral blood sugar. So it doesn't only happen in the setting of someone who is pre-diabetic or adult onset diabetic or type one diabetic, forget all of that. What happens is people crave sweets and they believe that there's something about insulin resistance in the brain. And as we eat the sweets, blood sugar goes up. And then also the inflammation in the brain starts to increase. And you know, when you've just overindulged in cake and dessert and you just feel that bloat? Well, when you're feeling that abdominal bloat, that bloat is also happening in your brain. And so you have these highs and lows and the inflammation impairs memory. And it is vicious, the appetite that people will have for sweets. They will forego all meals and have just sweets. So if, so,
0: so if you find yourself like, you know, in the men's room of a bowling alley at 3 in the morning buying Hershey bars at street prices, this is a bad sign, right?
1: (laughs) Probably. Probably.
0: (laughs) One of the things that we spoke about um, on your first appearance here that I know, you know, I learned a lot, but many of my friends and many of our viewers typed in and said they learned a lot from, I think of dementia, I think of Alzheimer's. But you taught us on your first appearance appearance, that... (laughs) even though that might be for the, for the layman, there are other types of dementia. I mean, Alzheimer's is on the tip of everybody's tongue because it's on, you know, it's in the newspaper, it's this, it's, it's a right. cliche, you forgot something, uh-oh, early Alzheimer's. Uh, I'd like to just, I know you have a little more you want to talk about, and we're doing halfway decent on time. The hour goes so quickly, we only have 20 minutes left. It's ridiculous, but touch on that a little because not everybody that has a little dementia has Alzheimer's.
1: Right, so the way I like to explain it is this, imagine an umbrella and imagine the actual top of the umbrella is the word dementia. Mm -hmm. And underneath dementia, you have Alzheimer's, you have vascular, you have Lewy body, you have Parkinson's related dementia, you have multi-infarct dementia, you have all sorts of different types of dementia. So each of those different types are a form of dementia but they're not interchangeable with the term in for let me back up so Alzheimer's is a type of dementia but you can have dementia without having Alzheimer's because your dementia might be a vascular dementia or your dementia might be a Lewy body dementia so they don't all act the same what they all have in common why they're all under that dementia umbrella is because they all have abnormal memory loss more than you would expect for someone of similar age, that it is to the point where it is interfering with their quality of life. So, yes, unfortunately, people use those two terms interchangeably. They absolutely are not the same thing. Did that clarify it a little bit more? I know
0: it clarified it absolutely, but just in a few minutes, you mentioned a few different types of dementia. Could you just, for our viewers, explain those few different types?
1: Sure, so, Alzheimer's is the loss of, well, most of them are loss of short-term memory first. People will often say their long-term memory is great. It usually is until the late stages of all of the types of dementia. So with Alzheimer's, you're having loss of short-term memory. Eventually, it is progressing into long-term memory. You have loss of vocabulary, communication, and then bodily function memory. You forget how to swallow at the end of an Alzheimer's disease, for example. Vascular dementia is different. Vascular dementia is when you have impaired blood flow. So you have increased cholesterol, increased blood sugar, you have high blood pressure that is not well controlled, maybe some sleep apnea that is not treated with a CPAP. And as a result, what happens is you have loss of blood flow, diminished blood flow to the brain. And as a result, those areas of the brain die. So when you have a little bit, which is part of normal aging, That's fine. The brain is very accommodating to that. When you have a lot of it, then really what you're saying is you have a lot of brain tissue that has died, is no longer viable, and the brain cannot accommodate all of that. So as a result, you start having issues. Someone with vascular dementia may have hallucinations. They often will move very slowly. They will have what we call a cognitive delay. You ask a question or give a command, and there is a very uncomfortable pause between when you ask it and when they respond. Lewy body dementia became very um, notable when Robin Williams was diagnosed with it. Lewy body dementia is a very difficult diagnosis to actually get because it fluctuates. A person will go one moment from being completely lucid and appropriate to the next minute, the expression here in Georgia is talking out of their head. And the family becomes very confused, because as they think that there is some type of an onset of dementia going on, then they'll have a normal conversation. And so the family really questions themselves. And of course, as always, when they come to the clinic for evaluation, there is a tendency for people to perform at their best level. And so oftentimes, they will be completely appropriate in the clinic setting, they walk out the door, and they're talking out of their head again. That diagnosis is marked by hallucinations, as well as these fluctuations in cognition. Interestingly enough, the hallucinations are typically small children, small animals. Really. Uh, Then you have Parkinson's related dementia. So on this continuum of Parkinson's, you have Lewy body dementia, which is the proteins that are found in Parkinson's typically condensed to certain parts of the brain dispersed throughout the brain. The person with Lewy body dementia will often mimic Parkinson's. They look Parkinsonian. They may have a flat expression. Maybe they shuffle their feet. Maybe they fall a lot. Oftentimes, but not always, two to three years after the diagnosis, they will develop Parkinson's or become more Parkinsonian. Then you have the person who first develops Parkinson's disease. Memory is intact down the line after the diagnosis of Parkinson's, they may develop a dementia and then it's Parkinson's related dementia. So it's a later development after the diagnosis of Parkinson's and it's all on that continuum, Lewy body first, then Parkinson's and then you could develop Parkinson's related dementia.
0: Oh, okay, any more?
1: There are several others. One that is noteworthy is frontotemporal dementia. This one's a little bit different in that the memory is relatively preserved. It tends to affect people in earlier decades in their 40s and 50s instead of typically 60s, 70s, 80s. This one is marked by disinhibition. Uh, They have loss of planning, loss of what we call executive function. So poor judgment, filters gone, verbal outbursts, um, behaviors that are not typical of them.
0: Filters gone. Do we know anybody that doesn't have a filter? Nope. Absolutely. <laughs> you said something earlier that just amazed me. I don't know if there's any studies and maybe I misunderstood, but one of the versions, uh, one of the versions that you were talking about is that common um, hallucinations are small children and animals. Yes. That's, I don't know why that strikes me as so unusual. Is there a reason why people have all... Of um,
1: wow. I, I will tell you that most people hear the word hallucinations and jump to something that is frightening.
0: If you talk
1: to people who have hallucinations for the most part, they're not bothersome. We do not treat them until they are frightening or bothersome to the individual. Some people enjoy them. Um, (laughs) Hallucinations are fascinating, but yes, Lewy body is marked by small children, small animals. I've had people in clinic tell me um, that their loved one will say things like, don't walk there, you're going to step on the children. Or look at the oh squirrels crawling the wall. Yeah,
0: I'm having a hallucination now of hearing a dog barking in the background. Is that real or is that just my uh,
1: fortunately, it is reality? Here that is rea-
0: yeah, well, you're yeah. Yeah. or is that mom trying to get out of this, uh, out of the basement?
1: <laughs> Probably just saying.
0: Well, um, you know, again, to me, this uh, it's it would be an understatement to say, I'm sure the great majority of our population, you know, would choose um, almost any other disease to go from rather than something that robs you of your your memories and your children. And yeah, uh, you know, I just can't even fathom it. Um, it's the
1: disease of two deaths.
0: Uh, yeah, you said that the first time and that gave me the chills that time and it gave me the chills this time. What else are you seeing? I mean, when we first... Uh, when you first came on, you were just starting really uh, compassionate education. You've done you know, so many national speeches now. Uh, you have your workshops. What else are you seeing when the family comes in? Um, because you know, it, it just affects every generation of the family when dad or, or grandma or grandpa have it.
1: They are looking for resources. They are looking for connections. I would highly encourage people to join a support group It is therapeutic. It is a good source of support, great um, networking for ideas. Um, Be proactive. Everyone, like I said, everyone should live their life assuming because it's true that they could develop it not to put the fear in people, but we need to get up and get, um, challenge yourself, you know, uh, you know, my daughter, Kelly, Kelly, and I just finished writing a book. I don't even think you were aware of this yet. No. Um, we are in the editing phase right now. And it is basically a, a coaching manual of, hey, you know what, let go of the past, look to the future. No boundaries, You you see a goal, go out and achieve it, go out and attempt it. Just the actual process of attempting it is therapeutic.
0: Absolutely. Um, People and- don't realize that
1: no i mean it's not just about the destination the journey is really where the reward is um so that will be something that we are looking forward to getting out to the public that'll be available on our website in the next probably six to eight weeks um what else can i tell you about well yeah i think that
0: i think that's also another um issue that's plaguing the young which is the instant gratification again of of picking this up and getting an answer but no you know i guess you sometimes you just got to be older to be smarter but you know achieving a goal which is a wonderful thing but the fun of achieving the goal is getting there once you achieve it i don't care what your goal is you know you go yeah that was good now what it it was the fun of getting there there's a couple of things that you know the younger generations don't get today you know they're very afraid of failure but you know, this is also a cliche, but people don't realize how true it is. You don't fail till you quit. As long as you don't quit, you have not failed. Um, And I'm not picking on the younger generation because they're a staggering generation. Their technical warehouse, their savvy is incredible, um, but they're not getting out enough. It it, it is all this. Um,
1: And it's unfortunate, not only is it all that, but that is not real. It's what they want people to believe is their reality. So they're robbing themselves on so many different levels.
0: Oh, even in the professional world, people are getting fired by text or email. People are being promoted by text or email. And in, on both sides of that scale, good and bad, um, You know, taking the emotion out of letting someone go, whether it's for cause or not, that person has a family, they have to feed their family and uh, the person delivering the message doesn't want to deal with that grief. So they do it in an email. But the opposite is true too. When you're promoting someone or it doesn't have to be in the job world or in the business world, you're developing or delivering good news. You know, your endorphins are firing. You're happy. There's yes. warmth. You're giving good news. You're not, those, those endorphins are not firing over a screen. I'm sorry. They're just not. No, they're not. Yeah. And
1: you're right. On so many levels, we, we know what we need to do, but we just haven't done it yet.
0: Well, yeah, that's a story. I think that's the story of everybody's life for a very long time. Yeah, I remember complaining, you know, that I actually had to get up from my desk or my room or wherever the dining room table when I was doing my homework to actually walk somewhere in my house now to get the encyclopedia to look something up. And now we have to have the fastest iphone possible just so we can look things up a quarter of a second quicker um yeah right. it, it when you think about it, it it's actually a a staggeringly good a staggeringly good thing and a staggeringly terrible thing all right. at once
1: right absolutely
0: so uh, your workshops are they local right there for you and where you know in georgia
1: Right now, they are right now. They are. We're hoping eventually I'm working on a couple of different uh, programs that can be mass produced and sent out remotely. Um, And I'm always available by contact um, through the phone or the Internet to do consulting as well as going out. And I like I said, I love lecturing. Um, This is actually something that probably you're unaware of. I I don't think Bob has shared with you. so I'm trying to take my own advice and I'm going back to school.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. I saw the jaw drop there.
0: Yeah, And what are you going to be when you grow up?
1: Well, I want to stay in the field. I want to challenge myself. I want to keep that stimulation going and I want to bring more value to the people that I am trying to inform. So I'm actually going back for my PhD.
0: That is fantastic. Congratulations. And uh, have we put the website up? I, I I'm looking into my camera. I'm not looking at no. the screen. Let's get the website up. It is uh, Um Have you ever thought of doing any um, you know webinar sessions? Um, or do you think it would, I mean, because I think people all over the country might want to tune in and bring you up on the screen and uh, have a workshop, or do you think it loses something by you not being there personally? But I mean, a live, not a pre-recorded, but a right. live workshop in florida in california right there from your office in georgia have you ever thought of doing something like that i
1: have thought about it i haven't done it yet i'm actually somewhere in between that and a podcast both are kind of up in the air right now for me uh trying to weigh the pros of each and see which one would meet the needs the most for me um but yes there it's for me and i know you love public speaking as well there is nothing like being in front of the live audience. I yeah. actually just did a keynote speech for a nursing summit uh, that was videoed and then went live this week and was able to reach 6,000 viewers. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see the feedback that comes from that because these are people in the field. You know, what is it exactly. that they think they, they could benefit from most? But absolutely any of the viewers for mm-hmm. 62 who knew please reach out to me through my website, uh, compassionateeducation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I post several times a week, and that is compassionate underscore education. And just trying to provide tidbits of information, and I always respond, usually within an hour. If I'm in clinic, it may be a couple of hours, but I try to stay on top of both of them. Um, On the website, I am constantly updating articles, information, there's a lot of FAQ information there. Uh, the information is available. You just need to know how to find it. So please feel free to check my site. Hopefully it will direct you to other sites that you can um, get more information. Or like I said, I'm always available. If someone wants to reach out, has a question, I'm happy to help.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt we should put a link to compassionateeducation.com on 62 who knewcom So this way our um, viewers could get right to you definitely let's do that in the next couple of weeks um you know i'm anxious you know well as you know we're going to be starting you know our national podcast we are behind uh schedule on that what else is new um, but we'll be starting our national podcast uh probably right around the first of the year and of course you're going to be a regular on that and uh, it seems to be the way the world uh, or at least the young, not just the younger generation, but younger and middle generation seem to be gleaming their information now, you know, from the podcast world, which, uh, is amazing to me, but everything's amazing to me because I'm a dinosaur. Seasoned. You're
1: well
0: seasoned. <laughs> oh boy. Am I well seasoned? Um, have you, uh, uh, have you ever been on a
1: podcast? I have not.
0: All right. You know what? Um, Without a doubt, without a doubt, I will do a, uh, an email introduction for you and Diane Daniels. Uh, oh. Diane has been our guest four or five times and actually well four times, and actually jumped in one day uh, when I had uh, uh, a problem and couldn 't come here and she was the host and she did an absolute great job. Uh, she has a huge following uh, she 's www.medicarenation nation and um, I will give you that uh, email introduction uh, today when I get back to my office because you should definitely start getting. You need to be a guest on a lot of people's podcasts because that will help you decide whether you want to be a podcast person. But it will also help you start to develop a following before you start your own podcast.
1: Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And you know, I don't know how much time is left, but we're still good.
0: We got about five minutes. to so go.
1: Well, laughter is some of the best medicine, as you know. And yes. unless you have any other questions, you might want to just take the second to tell about the white horse.
0: Uh, okay. So um, when we had our terrible hurricane, what was it, Elena? What was the terrible hurricane? Irma. Irma. No. Uh, okay, Irma. Was it Irma? Which is hard to believe. That was odd. About a, yeah, it was about a year and a half ago at this point um, Laura and Bob were actually out on a cruise. Poor them. They were trapped on a cruise ship in a very calm sea. What a seven day cruise turned into a two week cruise.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. And,
0: and people think they're suffering all over the world, but they were kind enough from, uh, 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 to give a, uh, a recluse to give their home to us. When I say us, my entire family. So we drove, um, when, because I, I lived on the water and, uh, we were in an evacuation zone. Uh, zone. So we all drove uh, to their beautiful home in Georgia, uh, which is on a beautiful acreage. And they, uh, to my knowledge, had four horses, even though I've been there a lot and I only saw three horses. So yes, in the, in the few minutes remaining, I will tell what you and your husband terribly did to supposedly one of your favorite relatives. So they, they actually coordinated this with my children who were coming with me. And on the way there... Uh, Laura's husband, my cousin brother, calls me and said, look, when you get there, as long as you're going to be there, because the hurricane was going to come to Georgia too, but it was hitting directly where I live in Florida. Um, make sure the three horses are in the stall, out of the stall. Don't worry, I'll call you. But we have a fourth horse uh, that, that Laura just bought. It's her favorite. It's young. It's all white. Please make sure, because it's young, it could get really wild during a storm, and it would break Laura's heart if that horse were to get away. So I said, no problem. As soon as I get to your house, I will check on the white horse. So, of course, what was a nine-hour drive turned into like a 17-hour drive because everybody was living in the state of Florida. But we get there at night, and Laura's incredible mom is there waiting for us with food and everything, and it's raining, and I'm tired. And But I promise, so I say to my kids, even though it's dark, uh, I got to run out to the barn, that beautiful barn, and make sure the white horses are right because this is... Laura's favorite horse. And Bob said, I have to do that. Well, the kids say to me, and these are not little kids. These are adults. These little shits that were in on this joke. Um, said, no, dad, you stay. It's been such a long drive. Um, we'll go check the the four horses, but we'll make sure Laura's favorite white horse is okay. So they go out in the rain. They come back and go, all the horses are fine, especially the white one. Now, what was this? This was probably a Thursday and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my cousin Bob calls. Michael, you know, I'm watching the weather there. Um, I see uh, the horses are running in the, um, you know, on the pasture. But I don't see the white horse. Can you go make sure it's okay? I go to get up. One of my kids goes, no, sit, Dad. They have such a beautiful home. I'm sitting in front of a fireplace. I'm watching this 75-inch, you know, what was it, 4D TV. I go, okay, you go check it. This happens day after day. Finally, they come back from their cruise. They land in Fort Lauderdale. They're now just hours away from here, from their home. And um, Bob says, look, you know, we're going to be there in a few hours. I'm really, really nervous. Make sure the the white horse is okay. This time the kids don't volunteer. So they come out with me, and I walk out, and I look in the pasture. How many acres is it? 7-8, Seven. Seven, so this is no small thing. I mean, yeah, I look, and I'm around, and I, don't know, I see the three beautiful brown horses galloping. There was a lot of damage to their house. Trees were down. I go, where's the white horse? So one of my kids go, well, maybe it's in the barn. So I walk in the barn. I also don't know at this point that I'm being videoed. My daughter is videoing me. So I go in the barn. I don't see the white horse. I walk around in the sludge and in the mud. Ruining my Nikes, by the way, and I look in the back of the barn. There's no white horse. I start to freak, because this is Laura's favorite horse, and I love her dearly. I can't believe there was. Uh, I lost. I lost Laura's house. I'm actually using vile language. I'm going, oh, my God, they're going to be here any, you know, any minute. I have to find this white horse. So I jump into my car, which happens to be a Corvette. My daughter goes, where are you going in your car? I go, I'm going to drive around. Everybody has horses. I'll find the white horse. It's probably out on the road. You'll come back and get the car. I'll ride the horse back. I'm panicking. I'm, I'm throwing F-bombs because I lost the horse. Well, I get so aggravated that one of the kids says to me, dad, dad. I go, what? There is no white horse. I go, well, that's the effing problem. There's no white horse. I got to go get it. They go, no, there never was a white horse. Bob and Laura created this before we got here to fool you. There's only seven seconds left, but my loving cousin brother put that video on Facebook, which is why I love him. No, we're out of time. I can't believe the story took some-
1: how
0: was the journey of the horse. Yeah, the journey. Of, it was great. We're out of time. Thank you so much, Laura. Love you, bye. and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.